Welcome to This is the Bad Place, a podcast about the NBC TV show The Good Place and the journey of two ex-evangelicals leaving white evangelicalism. All right, welcome. Everything is fine. Right? <laughs> everything welcome. Everything is fine. That's how episode eight starts off. Back in that room with the huge green letters that say welcome, mm-hmm. everything is fine. And it's so jarring, both at this point in the season and because of where our life is at right now. Right? Uh-huh. Yes, right. Because nothing is fine. Right. Everything is awful, really. Yes, exactly. I mean, what what are you feeling right now? Well, I'm just, I'm thinking about Eleanor. So, uh-huh. okay, back, backtrack. We're talking about season one, episode eight of The Good Place. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to hell. And, and it's titled Most Improved Player. Most Improved Player. And it's, this episode starts off with Eleanor back in Michael's office, or at least the entryway where it says, welcome, everything is fine. But she has just confessed, right, that she doesn't belong in the bad place. So she's in like internal torment and agony. And that starts off this episode. Right. Yes. And so, yeah, this is a significant episode. Um, really where they're trying to figure out, like, does Eleanor belong? Well, like- no, they already know she doesn't belong. <laughs> yes. so should she be kicked out to the bad place or not? Right. Yes. Is really the question, right? Mm-hmm. So should we start with uh, the summary before we get too far into it? Yeah. Is there something you wanted to say, though, about your personal uh, mental health coming into this episode? <laughs> There's just a lot, lot, lot going on personally for us, but also globally. That's just really impactful. And The Good Place is actually a really incredible show, I think, to watch and be thinking about as like global world events happen around us. But we will get into that. Anywho... <laughs> Yes. Okay, but should we let Mark Evan Jackson from the official Good Place podcast give us a recap of this episode? Yes, here we go. I'm Mark Evan Jackson. I play Sean. Today we're talking about Season 1, Episode 8, Most Improved Player. In summary, in the aftermath of Eleanor confessing, Michael conducts a litmus test on Eleanor to determine if she is a good or bad person. Eleanor tells a damaging story from her past, which makes Michael summon Trevor from the bad place. Chidi convinces Michael to give Eleanor another chance. Janet recovers from being murdered, but is still working out a few kinks. We also meet real Eleanor. All right. Good, succinct summary. That was a great summary. Was there anything in particular that you feel like was missed? Yeah, I think sort of the overall theme of Michael testing everyone, and he has this like glowing cube that's basically a lie detector. It's like a tesseract that detects lies. Okay. Um, <laughs> sure. <clears throat> Not that I'm a super Marvel person, but it's, to me it seemed it's more a like glowing cube. Something out of um, like a Mario game because the noises it made or oh, whatever right. uh-huh. yeah, but that so that ups the ante a bit right mm-hmm. nobody can lie to michael when they go into his office and he questions them about who killed janet do you think we should allow eleanor to stay or not mm-hmm. like they ha- the stakes are we can't lie this is an all-knowing cube right i guess yeah you know? i mean even michael lies at one point because he tells Tahani, you've been very helpful, and then yeah. it <laughs> blinks red, which yeah. means that he's lying, uh-huh. which I assume is not planned by him. I assume that it just is a lie detector. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. 
So yeah, that's basically the summary of the, or that's basically the episode is just people sitting in, in Michael's office and with this lie detector or preparing to go in with this lie detector. Yeah. Right. Um, and then basically one thing is we meet Trevor, which is Adam Scott's character, which is great. Who's a demon. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, and basically we also meet, um, Eleanor, the real Eleanor that was supposed to be in the good place, at least according to this point in the show. And so we see Eleanor who is suffering in hell meets Eleanor who is in heaven. Right. Which I think is really important to point out. And I guess we should, we can go into this in the watch rewatch, but I definitely want to talk about the real Eleanor. Okay. Because that was an interesting point for me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's an important, like, it's like just 10 seconds right at the end, but obviously like this huge ethical thing of like, well, if we're saving Eleanor from, to keep her in the good place, then that means that the real Eleanor is suffering in the bad place. Yes. And is that this just... is an ethical question that you're always thinking about, which I yes. love. Yes. It's definitely a part of it. Right. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in, on your first watch in 2016, what do you remember? Oh, just being stressed out. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like so stressed out. And I think this is another episode where I felt some fatigue of like, there's just always going to be something bad happening. And at the last second, you know, Eleanor was even on the train to the bad place. It started rolling off and then she confesses and then Michael, you know, so I was a little bit like, how long can this keep going? Mm-hmm. Like this tension of Eleanor going to the bad place. I think there's a part of me that was just like, you guys just get over with. Right. I felt so, that same impatience of like, sometimes I watch shows and I'm like, I really want to just know where this is going. I'm going to skip ahead 25 minutes to see what happens. I might go back. I might not. I know mm-hmm. you do the same thing with books. Yeah. That you've been known to like, and th- this is what it feels like. It, it almost like it's important, but it also, I felt my impatience of like, this almost feels like sitting through a boring staff meeting in a way. It wasn't boring though, because Eleanor's backstory was very funny and yes. engaging. And I think Ted Danson finally gets to shine. You know, in this episode, mm-hmm. really shine. Um, I'm just saying when I first watched it and I didn't know it was coming, it was stressful. Mm-hmm. And a little bit like, okay, what? come on, let's, come on, you know? Right, yeah, definitely. I remember feeling really impacted by Michael's switch, right? He's been this nice, happy guy. And he's just downright, like, I mean, we talked a bit about this in the last episode when he tells Tahani, I am blaming you. But we see this, like, full force, like, Eleanor is trying to be like, we're friends, right? Like, trying to make it nice. And Michael's just like, no, I'm just mad at you and I'm frustrated. And then the way he just calls Trevor the demon Uh so quickly right in front of Eleanor is awful. You know, you're like, this is not a good dude. No, uh, this angel. So, and we've and we've talked about like this parallel with like a narcissistic pastor or leader. Yeah, Michael, the mega church pastor, right? Yes. And uh-huh. this really fits, right? Like, I'm happy, I'm good, but like the moment, like you're the problem, yeah. Like, flip Boom, switch, you're out. Oh yeah, yes, totally. That's, so, that's I very really mega church pastor of him is mm-hmm. true, <laughs> right? Yeah. Exactly. Um. So on the rewatch, what stood out to you? Well, so much. The thing that comes up for me over and over again is watching how Tahani responds. And Mm -hmm. so I thought 
she was interesting in this episode because she was just like, get Eleanor out of here. Like she doesn't deserve to be here. And she actually makes it worse for those of us who do deserve, you know, Mm -hmm. how does that work? Like, so Tahani is still struggling with like, this is a good system. This all makes sense. This is exactly what I deserve. And this outsider's ruining all of it, you know, Mm -hmm. which we as the viewers know this is going to come back to haunt her since she also has a quote unquote soulmate who is hiding his identity, you know, (laughs) like she's saying this about Eleanor. It's like, well, she's going to say, have to say that about Jason, you know, like, we all know, but so she looks like a total asshole, if I'm uh-huh. being honest. Right. Right. And yes. then by the end, she sort of comes around, but not as much as you would hope in right. a way, yes. you know, mm-hmm. and it's really Eleanor, the one who is just making these gigantic leaps and bounds of like caring for other people. Right. It's who like are she's very really, different from her. Yeah. yeah. It's like she's really improved. Oh my God, it's the like, most improved. <laughs> it's like Eleanor's the most improved and Tahani is not the most improved. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. So that stood out to me. And then I was sort of surprised because I've obviously been thinking about this show and watched all four seasons. Um, I was surprised at at the end, the introduction of the real, quote unquote, the real Eleanor. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, it just made my stomach drop. Like what an ethical conundrum uh-huh. to throw. You know, I felt right. like like a clutching my head, like a moral uh-huh. philosopher was like, no, right. this changes everything. I can't uh-huh. be happy. You know, like right. I can't be happy because now I have to think about this other person and their <laughs> right. suffering. Like, so that's how I felt. Yes. Hey, that phrase sounds familiar. What? Oh, I can't be happy. <laughs> I can't be yes. happy because I have to think about someone else's suffering. Yeah. Oh, does that sound familiar? Yeah. Mm-hmm. For me, um, in the rewatch, I really focused on the flashback, uh, which is um, basically this part where Eleanor has a roommate who's like not a great person, but then Eleanor just like makes these, like rips her dress, like doesn't tell her, makes t-shirts about her, like also is not a good friend. And what really stood out to me it, there is that um, we know, you know, knowing this whole thing, we know that everybody is in the bad place and everyone failed uh, to meet good place standards. But what's unique about Eleanor is that she is consciously making bad decisions, right? Even like Jason doesn't consciously make bad decisions. Mm-hmm. He, like He doesn't go against his conscience, right? And so what really stood out to me was this piece of, um, you know, this focus on she's bad because she conscious went against her conscious, made these bad decisions, did things she knew was wrong. And I was thinking, this is just because of stuff I've been reading and listening to lately, about the idea of your conscience being the best determiner of what is right. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been listening to this podcast called On God's Campus, um, which is related to the Straight White American Jesus podcast, and they're looking at the religious exemptions. So basically, schools like we went to, Bible colleges, mm-hmm. can say, like, because of our conscience, we are going to not admit queer students. Yes. You know, and it, this actually started, these laws started... Um, uh, 60s, 70s, 80s, I'm not sure, with also banning interracial marriage right. because of our conscience. And so I'm thinking about how whiteness, mm-hmm. it really puts this emphasis on like, if you know something is wrong and you do it, then it's wrong. But if it's what you think is the right thing to do, 
and you do it, then you're good. Yeah. You know, so totally. I don't know. That just really stood out to me. Um, I want to give a shout out to that podcast. It's just launching. Yeah. It's really intense, but yeah. Yeah, I, I love that. I think, yeah, I think this episode actually brings up so many issues. I know, I'm like, we could talk about, I told you, I was like, I'm not even going to talk about the main ethical question, but that really stood out to me that, you know, in white evangelicalism, it is like, yeah, it, your intent is what's important and not your impact. Yeah, so for me, I would sum it up, and this can, I think this could go into our conversation on what is the main ethical question. I'm not sure. It's a, I do think it's an ethical question. For me, this episode and what you're saying, it brings up this point that all of this discussion about a per, like a personal ethic, mm-hmm. like it means nothing if you don't look at the systems that are designing mm-hmm. those ethics and who's actually in control and what's actually going on. Right. And I think this episode in particular is such a good example of like how we can sort of become the frog in a boiling pot of water and just mm-hmm. learn to accept a lot of deeply unethical things while thinking we are deeply ethical people. Mm-hmm. And so I think this episode does such a good job of sort of talking about the personal versus the systemic right. and how the systemic can change so much of what we actually end up doing mm-hmm. and believing. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. And I recognize like me bringing this up is sort of foreshadowing what we will talk about later in the series or what comes up later. But I just thought that was so um, interesting to me that this focus on like Eleanor is bad because she does the thing she know is bad. But yeah, so many ways that um, we harm people, even if we're think- we even if we think we're doing the right thing. Yeah, totally. Not to be, like, hopeless about it, but I just think it, yeah. I really appreciate what you said about the systemic part. Mm -hmm. Favorite things about the episode? Oh, um, Janet was amazing in this episode. Mm -hmm. All her cacti. Um, That was really good. I I did love seeing Ted Danson be a little evil. Adam Scott as, like, a smarmy demon. I know. And the things that he says. It's so good. He calls her sweetheart. He says you should smile more. Like, they were obviously going after, like, certain demographic Toxic masculinity. Mm -hmm. It was, yeah. So, that was just all a delight. Mm Mm-hmm. One of my favorite things was when Tahani finds out that Eleanor is faking and Tani says, she pretended to be my friend when I really needed one. <laughs> like this, I don't know, it just cracked me up because she's like mad, but she's also sort of like, but also like it really meant a lot to me. Mm-hmm. So I appreciated just like her, you know, kind of mixed emotions there. Um, I love when uh, Jason tells Eleanor, like, I'll go in and, and tell Michael that you're, you have a dope soul and hella ethics. Hella ethics. <laughs> I love that. Love that so much. I also loved that so much of the bad place revolves around The Bachelor. So So true. Michael asks, like, basically, did you watch The Bachelor or post about it on social media as, like, an indication of whether or not you belong in the good place? And then... Uh, Adam Scott's character, Trevor, later says, like, we got to get back to the bad place. we got to watch The Bachelor. <laughs> There's so many drive-bys on The Bachelor franchise, which I loved. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Michael does this whole bad place questionnaire. Were you, like, taking it along with Eleanor? Mm-hmm. Would you yeah. have scored any? Zero. I, yeah. I scored a zero, too. Mm-hmm. So I deserve to be in the good place. And I've always secretly thought this about <laughs> myself. Um, and now it clinches it. 
because mm-hmm. I I do think the Bachelor Bachelorette franchise is a symptom of a devolving culture. So yeah, mm-hmm. I, and I'm such a good person for thinking that. You know what I mean? I'm <laughs> right, like so yeah. countercultural right. for like not watching the Bachelor. Mm-hmm. It's, I'm like so cool. Exactly. I have hella yeah. ethics. Yeah, I was like, is it really some that- of us watch shows like Love Is Blind <laughs> in this relationship? Not me. I mean, I would never. Because Love is Blind is like The Bachelor, but like times 10 as far as bad ethics goes. But you know what I mean? I would never. But some people. I don't even know how to respond to this. (laughs) (laughs) It helps me be better at my job as a couples therapist. I love watching it. And you love drama. No, I love, you love a little I, drama. I, I love thinking about like what are what is going on here? What is going on in all this chaos in these relationships? Remember, I used to get involved in lots of like drama online and stuff, and mm. you loved hearing me talk mm-hmm. about it. Now I'm trying to be a better person, and now you're like, I gotta watch Love is Blind, gotta get my drama fix. <laughs> That's what Enneagram Nines are all about. Is yes. like Other I don't wanna drama. be in the drama, yeah. but I want a little bit of that spice of life. I think it's very cute. And for your birthday, I did watch the first episode of Love is Blind just for you, mm-hmm. right? Right. Anywho, you're in the bad place, I'm in the good place. Now where, now where are we at? <clears throat> you were throwing me under the bus for watching reality TV, but now we can move on to the bad place segment. Wow. <laughs> I did not throw you under the bus. I'm just like an ethical, honest person. You know what I mean? So. You should have protected <laughs> me. The way that Chi- that Eleanor protected Cheedy by not telling Michael okay. that Cheedy killed Janet, murdered Janet. I yeah. love that they just keep on using murder, that term. Murder, murder. Yeah, it's pretty great. Okay, what do you think is the big ethical question in this episode, Crispin? I think that it has a lot to do with the way that the ethical imperative of honesty shifts with the context. I know that sounds very abstract, but I do think that there's this element of like they're having to be honest to Michael, but Michael's not a good actor in this yes. system, right? Mm-hmm. So honesty is in is a ethical good, but like I think about snitches get stitches. Like yeah. think about that piece, right? Like if there are people that are being harmed by your dishonesty because this also comes up in different systems, right? Where it's like, say, abuse is happening and secrets are kept. I think that is a different context than, like, you were using an illegal drug and you are part of a government system that oppresses people um, at higher rates depending on their race if they use certain drugs. Okay. So, but... I know that you have a lot of thoughts on this. I want to I hear do. Your I thoughts. want you to make that a little more concrete because I think both of us coming out of white evangelicalism, right? There's some there's just so many similarities, right, to the good place being born into this world where basically we're told welcome, everything is fine. Um here's the authorities you can trust and then it becomes this long long um lifelong journey of trying to police yourself right mm-hmm. to be good within the framework of white evangelicalism and mm-hmm. and all of us who were born into that system or maybe you're born into a, a different sort of high control scenario system like have this long untangling journey of figuring out oh the people who told us they were good and perfect and godly like were not acting in good faith most of the time right and then we have to decide what to do with that. So I just want you to think about if you have 
some more thoughts about making that a little bit more personal and mm-hmm. concrete because I think it can get into trouble when we just are abstract about it. Yes. Okay. I mean, I made it succinct because I have too many thoughts about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to give a trigger warning here because mm-hmm. I'm thinking about like sexual abuse, mm-hmm. for example. So I'm going to give a trigger warning on that. Um, because I've been a part of a system before where I was like, we need to talk about this person is a perpetrator. Mm-hmm. And what they said was like, no, that is that person's um, information that they have. Like, it would be bad for me to be honest on their behalf. And I think this shows up in a lot of abusive systems, right? Like, there's this element of like, yes, you it, kind of talking out of both sides of your mouth. Yes, you need to confess everything. But also when it comes to people that are abusive, like, well, they have their own personal individual protection or their relationship with God, or they need to just confess to the people they harm. No one yeah. else needs to know about yeah. it. Um, and I'm sure people listening are like, oh, yeah, I know about this dynamic. Um, so on the one hand, I want to say that there is, um, for those that have harmed others and and continue to have a uh, potential harm, need to be honest, need to be transparent. Um, but then when you flip the power dynamics, um, a lot of times um, in, say, churches or other settings, right, like you are expected to volunteer information. I think about the scene in the, in the thing where Eleanor is like, okay, I'm going to tell you this thing about me, but you can't judge me because it makes me look bad. Yeah. And Michael says, that's the whole point of this is we are judging you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, in churches, like it's this expectation of like, you need to be transparent. You need to be totally honest to be a good person. But we are going to use that against you. We are going to try to correct your behavior or yeah. we're going to make you feel bad or we're going to control you in some way. Um, and so, and I even think about some of the brainwashing research you've talked about, right? Mm-hmm. Where confession is actually a way to keep people in cults often. Yeah. Okay. I'm so glad you talked about that because I think it's hard for me to know, like if, so if people didn't grow up within white evangelicalism, right? I'm, I'm, I'm just curious, like if they have any sort of similarities to what you and I did. So you and I grew up in a system where like the premise of the show, The Good Place, makes so much sense to us because mm-hmm. we were told from birth there was an all-knowing, all-seeing God who could read our thoughts, who knew what was in our hearts, and wanted to um, wanted us to conform one hundred percent at all times. I mean, to that deity. Can I just jump in and say, yeah. like, as a teenager, I was so scared yeah. that the Holy Spirit was going to tell other people yep. in my life what I was doing. Like that I was, yeah. That keep on going back to porn and this, like, well, that's how the, they controlled right teenagers just exactly. talking about porn all the time, right? Yeah, I was like, I'm afraid that God is going to tell someone, an adult in my life, that I'm looking at porn because that is what God does. God reveals the truth, reveals the truth, mm-hmm. and makes sure that you are perfect. And if you're not, then you have to feel shame and you're going to be disciplined for it. Yeah. So then that fear probably drove you to try and police yourself. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes it would cause you to confess to people, which would feel awful, but then you sort of get some relief and then you'd feel even closer to the group and you'd commit even harder to try and live up to the ideals of the group and you just perpetuate, perpetuate, mm-hmm. perpetuate. So... You know, the, this is how we grew up. I think there's some elements of this outside of religion. Um, mm-hmm. I just think like American 
culture can be pretty totalitarian. Like everything here is great. We're the greatest country in the world. We deserve uh, to control things happening in the Middle East, for instance. We mm-hmm. deserve, uh, y- you know, <laughs> right. we deserve to fund wars everywhere um, and uh, all this stuff. So I think just Americans in general probably have a lot of that stuff to unpack. But people like us who grew up in white evangelicalism, it's even more so. And I, so I thought a, a bit in this episode about Jeremy Bentham's uh, Panopticon, which, you know, Jeremy Bentham, which they've talked about in this show, mm-hmm. utilitarianism and like the greatest happiness principle and all that stuff. Well, he became very passionate with like, you know, making a society in a way where it's easier for people to do good, you know, to mm-hmm. quote Peter Morin, but he came up with this idea of a prison, right? Where you have this like solitary tower in the middle and then surrounding it in a circle, almost like a Coliseum type thing. Mm-hmm. There's like a cell with the bars are open. And so you can incarcerate hundreds and hundreds of people like in a in a circle. And then in the middle, right, there's this tower. And you could just have one guard at the top of the tower and he can just turn from direction to direction and he can see everybody at any moment and so jeremy bentham's like see this will be great we can lock up tons of people and only need to employ like one guard right Mm -hmm. and then eventually the prisoners will get so used to like i could be watched at any time they will just police themselves and they will just behave because they never know if they're being watched or not and if you never know but there's always the threat of it you eventually start to police yourself right and yeah and then you internalize it and so jeremy bentham's like well this is great like we can just do that to a lot of people and uh anyways what does that make you think about yeah well can i tell you two things yeah one is i did not know that the person that came up with utilitarianism also came up with that prison system because i mm-hmm. know about this prison system from the book gentler god mm-hmm. uh, doug frank talks about okay. this yeah. um two if you are a moral philosopher that designs prisons right you are in the bad place well i'm saying but it is a sort of logical conclusion because you have to deal with well what do we do with people who are not good who are mm. not acting ethically what do we you know so i'm like uh-huh. i think it is complicated but his idea which he thought was so genius right i think most of us in this day and age can be like uh oh like mm-hmm. that actually is an element of like the constant state of surveillance leads people to police themselves and some people are like yes that's what we need and that's what we have to have for a society to function and i'm saying no, <laughs> and I, I no longer agree with that, even though that's what I was born into. And literally our panopticon, mm-hmm. the prison guard for us was God or mm-hmm. Jesus or the Holy Spirit. You know, right. we're yeah, so lucky. Totally. We had the Trinity. We had three mm-hmm. all seeing guards at all times. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I it took me forever to figure out what I thought was the Holy Spirit was just my critical self, you know? Um, and yeah, that was just formed early in childhood is like, you have to be good. If you're doing something bad, then you feel bad. Yeah. So that's what I thought about. And I thought about just growing up under the constant threat of surveillance and how that has impacted my life and how it kind of makes sense that I've literally developed obsessive thinking Mm -hmm. and, you know, have a clinical disorder Mm -hmm. now. Um, but honestly, it's just like, a logical conclusion to being raised under that level of surveillance. Now, mine was even more exacerbated because both of my parents were fully into this idea. They used 
religion and God to control me. Um, and, and I don't think my story is that dissimilar, but I do know most people had other spheres of their life where they were not always operating under that. Now, that did not happen for me because I was homeschooled, isolated, all that stuff. So I've been somebody who's been living under constant surveillance um, and, you know, even brought that into my mind. Well, and I think you actually bring up something not I'm not wanting to compare or saying one way is worse, better or worse, but the function of it is that me going to public school, God was watching me at school yeah. where my parents couldn't be. Right. So there's that. Yeah, piece so you were too. still uh, yeah. So I just think it's interesting. Uh you know, we this again, it doesn't isn't just related to religion, but I just be curious for people to sort of spend some time thinking about that relationship to the constant surveillance. Somebody's always watching you to see if you're good or not. And mm-hmm. that's the central premise of the good place. And the way the show is set up was we never have time and the characters never have time to interrogate the whole setup being well, that, really, really, really bad. That's Does that what, make sense? Right, yeah. And that's what I was thinking about is that when you're under this critical eye all the time, you don't that you're have... told is good, yes. a good judge. So right. everybody's believing Michael that he is an angel and a great judge, and whoever is telling up the points, they're doing it right. So yes, exactly. everybody has that assumption. Right? Yeah, and you don't have that moment to stop and ask, like, wait, this is this is good according to one person or a group of people that yes. you know have their own biases, that have their own whatever, right? That they've decided what this is good, but you don't. Like growing up in evangelicalism, you never get a chance to like stop and question that, right? Because that would be questioning God. Exactly. So, uh, you know, I publicly deconverted from Christianity this past year and people were very shocked and, and whatever. But I think for me, it is so tied to this concept of I was told by human beings who had ulterior motives to protect whiteness, to protect conservative values, to protect... Um, and privilege their religion above all others, you know, in a supposedly democratic and pluralistic society. And their vision of God, right, reflected them and their values. So, yeah, I'm going to fucking deconvert from that. You know what I mean? (laughs) And again, I I talk about this all the time. People are always so upset that I've also done away with Jesus because Jesus was the guard in the panopticon, okay? (laughs) That's who he was, and that's why I reject it. Yeah. Wholeheartedly. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. It's funny because I'm like, I feel like that, I mean, yeah, I feel like that is also my experience. Yeah. Like that was all the time. Like, Jesus, am I okay? Am I okay? Am I okay? Am I okay? Mm. And what's interesting is this show does give us some seeds of hope just looking at Eleanor can change. Like we actually within us... Mm-hmm. Not because of some outside guard or whatever, but because of who we want to be and wanting to be in line with our values and being changed by seeing how our actions impact other people can change, can make mm-hmm. choices to change direction, mm-hmm. change how we interact with people mm-hmm. based off of the information we are able to absorb about another person's suffering and how our actions can and do impact them. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where I'm at now. I think that's like a humanitarian uh-huh. uh, you know, outlook. So Right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's, there is this aspect of even just thinking about the four of them, right? Like you are impacted by other people and together in a community, you determine like what is healthy, what works well for us. Yeah. So uh, it's funny. uh, We are at the, you might have religious trauma segment, (laughs) but we've been talking about it all along. And 
I have multiple things to say about religious trauma okay, in this episode. Go. One is um, Michael asking this questionnaire made me think about what I heard my whole life, which was when you get to heaven, you're going to be asked one question, oh. right? Michael asked multiple questions, right. so he he messed it up. Uh-huh. You know, that one question is like, did you put your faith in Jesus? Did You know? Yeah. Uh, so it made me think about that. Um, but it also reminded me of um, those like evangelism uh, like, you know, sharing the gospel with people things where you walk them through, like, have you done this? Have you done, like, oh, look, you broke one of the Ten Commandments. You've done those questionnaires with people? No, but I've watched Kirk Cameron do it on oh. a YouTube once with people. Did you? <laughs> yes. I, I think Campus Crusade did that. And all uh-huh. that stuff. Yeah, I mean, I remember that being like a, I, I don't know if I ever did it, but I remember being trained in it. Yeah. Okay, so one of the most annoying things, and trust me. There's like a billion of them mm-hmm. about evangelicals is that they will say shit like that. Like, all God's just going to ask you one question, mm-hmm. one question. I'm like, then why the hell did you spend so much energy like policing everything I read, thought, <laughs> right. did, said, how many times uh-huh. I went to church, mm-hmm. if I was witnessing it? Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, they actually care about every little thing. Mm-hmm. And you will definitely get told if you are not matching up. Like, And this still exists to this day. I'm almost 40, right? Mm-hmm. Christians who still, I don't know why. If they're, if they're conservative, they're Christian, and they're still like in my life in some way, they, they feel so much of a right to nitpick me and what I'm doing. And it's just like so astonishing to me. But that's just, you know, how it goes mm-hmm. in, in that world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in that worldview right not only are you getting people to police themselves but you're getting them to police each other Mm -hmm. all the prisoners become guards and that is what happens in white evangelicalism i think we're saying i think we see it in the good place right to hani being like we need to get eleanor out of here Mm -hmm. make this the place that we're all supposed to be like to hani's acting like a guard at that point like tani's acting like a demon she doesn't Uh know it because she thinks she's acting like an angel and i'm just like that's what more of us who've been born into these systems of surveillance need to spend some time thinking about, are you Mm -hmm. actually acting like a guard or not? Right. right? I'm so glad you brought that up because that was the other thing I wanted to talk about. We, we talked about hell a couple of episodes back in our Patreon um, and, and these dynamics of like, how do you uh, make yourself comfortable with this idea of hell? Um, And we see Tahani trying to do that. So Michael asks, Tahani, like, should Eleanor remain here or not? And Tahani's like, well, some of us deserve to be here. And he's like, okay, so you're saying she should go to hell. And Tahani's like, I'm not saying that she should go to the bad place. I'm just saying she doesn't fit the criteria. Oh, I mean, that whole scene was like a master class, right? Yes. Uh Uh-huh. And sort of like trying to wiggle out of the consequences of your beliefs Onto other people. Right. And I was like, part of me was like, is this trying to make Tahani uncomfortable? It did. It did. I think, though, what actually was more important about that scene is it shows how Tahani is not a good person because she's trying to wiggle out of. Well, I mean, again, the whole point is not to go into that binary. It's not that Mm -hmm. she's not a good person. It's that she has become complicit in a bad system Mm -hmm. and is upholding that bad system while thinking of herself as a good person. So I think the whole point of this show 
is we have to do away with those binaries, right? Mm-hmm. Those binaries are so bad and they can corrupt us in mm-hmm. ways we don't even realize. So I don't think Tanya's a bad person. Mm. I am saying in this episode, it's so clear that she is acting like a guard at this mm-hmm. point mm-hmm. and doesn't seem to feel all that troubled about sending someone to hell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well said by the non-binary person in this conversation. <laughs> I'm just so good at pointing out binaries now. I'm like so good at it. And I just reject all of them. But I do think, yeah, that just really stood out to me. Like all the, you know, sort of gaslighting conversations of like, no, it's not that God sends people to hell. They choose to go there because of their actions. Yes. You know, like. I typed out huge letters, gaslight, in the first sentence Michael spoke in this episode. Mm-hmm. Just like, gaslight city, y'all. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Right. Uh, moving on from religious trauma, do you have any fun facts? Well, I have a fact, but it's not very fun. Okay. Did you know that there actually were panopticons built? No. Yeah, these kinds of prisons, and mm. including one in Illinois. And uh, a bunch, like three in the Netherlands. Um, I was like, I remember seeing one in Guardians of the Galaxy, but... <laughs> <laughs> How do I? Okay, I want to. Oh I want to be clear. Is that a Panopticon? Yeah, Guardians the, of the Galaxy one. Yeah, there's because there's a the tower in the middle, and you then you should have mentioned that from the jump because that will help people understand what I'm talking I, about. I don't want people to think that I'm like a Marvel nerd because I'm not actually. I will say Marvel does like twenty percent interesting ethics, and then eighty percent they ruin it, mm-hmm. and that's a really hard ratio for me <laughs> yes, to deal with. So, true. anyways, <laughs> yeah. Okay, perfect example. Did you know? Fun fact: There's a Panopticon in Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> I'm like now. I'm like I hope I'm remembering it right. That's no, how it I is. remember no, it. it is. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And that scene made me really uncomfortable. But it's also great about uh, how you can uprise and resist and mm-hmm. uh, take over the guard tower mm-hmm. and fly away with it. So I guess that is what <laughs> I am saying we should do uh-huh. is um, take over that mm-hmm. internal guard tower mm-hmm. of our minds and regain power and control and decide what kind of people we want to be mm-hmm. after we've seen what the systems are like. Uh, okay. Other fun facts are Tahani's name dropping. Uh-huh. In which she talks about her friend Taylor being interrupted by her other friend Kanye, who was defending her very best friend, Beyonce. Uh-huh. And I was like, whoa, Another- this is the bad place for sure. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Another Beyonce reference and also really makes me like takes me back in time. To exactly. It, right? First Taylor Swift res- reference in the good place. Mm-hmm. And we all know your Taylor person. Yes. As are so many people in the world. And Beyonce. I mean, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We like them all, but Kanye is a no-go. Yeah. Uh anymore. So yeah, I yeah. mean that wasn't that the red flag at the beginning. I d- I don't remember the dynamics of that. I mean, defending to be Beyonce is fine. It's just like <laughs> other stuff that uh, you know. <laughs> Anywho, um, I also, <laughs> I guess another fun fact is that Kristen Bell and Adam Scott, who plays Trevor the Demon, they've been in a few projects together. They were in Veronica Mars together, and then you know, there's an the episode of Parks and Rec. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that may be it, but that's a fun fact. Yeah. Right? 
Right. Their little dream team. Uh-huh. That is I funny. love Adam Scott. Yeah, I did not know that he was in Veronica Mars. Me neither. I had That's no what the internet idea. told me. I've never oh. watched that show. But... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just thinking about the connection with Mike Shore. But anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, listener questions. Uh, yeah, we've gotten a lot of listener questions, and... Um, and mostly folks were like, this is actually more of a personal question. So, uh, you know, of course, we're being respectful of that. Um, and we appreciate the engagement. But I will say that, like, a lot of the response in general that we heard after the last episode, White Lies and Red Boots, which I didn't mention, but I named it to sound like a romance n- novel title. You're so proud of that. I- I'm not sure a single soul Yeah, I don't know read either. the title of our tiny podcast episode and was like... Oh, that sounds like a romance novel, but it's very cute that you tried. This is the way I work. I title things that really have nothing to do with it or like no indication, like friends are friends forever. Yeah. Which we didn't talk about at all. That's one of my favorite things about you. You know what? You are ungovernable because <laughs> you refuse to capitulate to the algorithm. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're really bad at titles. Well, that's one way of looking at yes. it, but I'm, I'm trying to romanticize it. Okay. okay. <laughs> Anyway, um, but yeah, we we just heard a lot of like kind of feedback of people really struggling with like, um, am I like, you know, should I feel guilty if I'm continuing in these relationships where I'm not 100% honest about where I'm at with my faith or with, you know, beliefs or toxic theology, etc. And the answer is yes, you should. <laughs> Just kidding. My goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I was worried for a minute. I, I was like, I just want to prank Crispin by saying that. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I think it's really complicated. And we are talking um, on the Patreon-only episodes about family enmeshment. And family estrangement. Mm-hmm. Because if you grow up in a panopticon and you start to uh, actually listen to your own self... There's going to be some tension, right? Yes, totally. And that's where I think fawning comes in, like this fawn response Mm -hmm. for a lot of folks. I just want to acknowledge that, that like part of you is like, yeah, I'm going to engage in conflict with my parents. And then another part of your brain might be like, nope, we're just going offline. We're taking you offline. We're just going to submit. We're going to act like everything's okay. And that can be a trauma response. Um, So I just want to say like, if that's your experience, that was my experience with yeah. my parents. Um, so I want to make a lot of room for that. Um, that it's not like we're talking about going into families or communities where people are like, yeah, it's fine, whatever you believe, right? There are going to be consequences. Yeah. And I think it's complicated. Um, and I do hope that our generation, thinking about millennials that grew up in this, like we're seeing our kids that they are growing up in these places where they feel free to be themselves and feel free. I That's generally what I see. Like there's this element of kids feeling like, yeah, I can disagree with my parents or I can talk to them about things, et cetera. And I hope that as we are raising kids in that, we're also healing ourselves, like doing that, you know, cause you deserve the healing to learn. Like, how can I feel like I can live the life that I want to live um, and not be so scared um, but that fear is there for a real reason. Yeah. And I think if you're listening to this, if you do come from, you know, an evangelical background or you're in some sort of relationship or communities, right, where you feel like you can't be honest about certain things, you know, specifically, I would say like human rights and all this stuff. Um, I, I think 
rewatching The Good Place is really good because you can see the anguish, right? All of the four humans in this scenario feel so. I guess Jason doesn't feel a lot of anguish, <laughs> um, but the other three do. And just think about what actually starts to give them some relief. Mm. And over and over and over again, it is being honest and sort of taking responsibility for how their actions impact other people. And eventually that gets used to, uh, you know, cause them even more consternation. But you can get through that. Like, you can get through those things. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes, like, focusing on, oh, this one person's hurting and you need to help them. Like, that can be a distraction from actually taking down the whole system and looking at the whole system. So I think that's another thing to keep in mind is sometimes we do have some relational distress. um, But the bigger picture is these entire systems that are intent on oppressing and hurting people. Mm -hmm. And that's where our energy needs to go, right, to fighting that. Yeah, I think that's a really good way of framing it. So Okay, are we at the very end? Yes. This is the good place. What is giving you hope in humanity these days? Well, I went to a protest yesterday to show support for Palestinian people and to, you know, call for a ceasefire and specifically it was at congressman earl bloomhauer's office here in portland oregon and um i'm I'm, you know autistic and i've i've been to lots of protests that have been kind of traumatizing to me so it was hard to go but i'm glad i went and just being surrounded by a lot of families and a lot of people from very diverse backgrounds who just are done with u.s imperialism and uh, you know, billions and billions and billions of dollars going to weapons and military, you know, actions that that kill children, defenseless children. And um, so it. I think protests are a really important way to metabolize grief and rage and then come out with some solidarity so there there were hundreds and hundreds if not thousands of people that showed up in portland oregon um to show solidarity with people who you know don't have electricity or water or food um or much like say in a lot of like legacy media here in the united states so it it was a heavy time but the the chance and the marching together was really beautiful and like a solidarity thing. And it was just a reminder of how totalitarianism, be it in religion or be it in a country, right? It just puts these binaries into good or bad. There's the good side and the bad side. And I'm saying for me, the march was about human rights matter. Human rights for everyone matters. And I refuse to say that only one side is is good, right? And the mm-hmm. other side is bad. And when it comes to money and military power, um, I mean, you know, our president Biden has said he will unequivocally support Israel. Like that's a really dangerous statement to make about anybody, much less the fourth largest military in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so just stuff like that is really important for me. And I'm just so happy to see a lot of other people showing up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think for me, what's good right now is, uh, is resting and taking a break. Um, there's so much going on in the world and there's so much going on in our life that I want to show up for that mm-hmm. I am showing up for. And so recognizing like on a Saturday afternoon to like disconnect from those things, playing a video game for mm-hmm. a while, 
um, has been good. And like, just even in some ways, like not a place I've been for a little while, like just recognizing like, oh, I can't just be totally plugged in, you know, 24 seven, 24 seven. Right. So, um, and kind of along with that, like cozy fall, you know, um, there's again, vibes. Yes. There's Mm -hmm. so much going on right now that it doesn't, a lot of the time it doesn't feel that cozy. Um, but trying to carve out sometimes that's like, yeah, this feels like cozy fall vibes. Yeah. How do you do that? Um, I mean, I know how you do that, but tell tell the (laughs) listeners. Lighting some candles. We love a candle. Listening to jazz, which I mentioned last time. You're I in your jazz phase. Um, I and hanging out with our kids and you know doing like um, they love all the fall shit. Mm-hmm, our kids really do. So right. yeah, we, we are having fun doing that. Going all out on costumes, so creating costumes, painting things like that's all been really fun. Yeah, that that's so true. That is a good thing. Helping yeah. our kids make costumes is fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Glad we got to end there. Um, we are going to keep going because every time we get to the end of the episode, I'm like, what's going to happen next? I, I can't remember. Um, I know. And uh, yeah, spend some time thinking about the Panopticon, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I am I just, I think Mike sure really had all of this background layer going. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, I just find it all fascinating. Yeah, I love it. love it too. I want to mention again um, our that in our Patreon only uh, we started talking about uh, Dobson parenting, authoritarian parenting, but now we're talking a lot about like what does that look like as an adult? And so we talked about that with our last episode. Our next episode, we're going to talk about how do you manage those relationships now? What do you do with these relationships when you have really different uh, values? And if you're honest about your values, it might cause conflict. So we would love to hear from y'all. How are you doing that? Um, questions you have, like we're not experts on this, but it is a conversation that we're having over yeah. there. So I wanted to throw that out because it just feels like it comes up over and over and over again for a good reason. Exactly. But thanks all for listening. Thanks for your support. If you like this podcast, please, you know, share it, chat about it, do whatever. But thanks so much for listening along. Thanks, y'all. Take it sleazy. This has been an episode of This is the Bad Place, a special season of the Prophetic Imagination Station podcast. You can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram by searching Prophetic Imagination Station Podcast. You can find us on the web at propheticimaginationstation.com. You can leave us a voicemail at 503-912-4130 or record a voice memo and send it to propheticimaginationstation at gmail.com. Join our Patreon community to hear two extra episodes a month and join our Facebook group to discuss episodes and more. And we hope you'll join us next time in the bad place. <laughs>